This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Coach Jen in Ocala, Florida. And I am Tara Tibbetts coming to you from Fort Worth, Texas. You are listening to the monthly fox hunting episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network. Coming to you today, May 20th, 2021, episode 2686. Good morning, Horse World. This is our special third Thursday of every month episode. We talk to you about fox hunting and let you know what's happening in the hunting world. So if you are looking to learn about fox hunting or you are a fox hunting aficionado, mark your calendar for the third Thursday. And this is the point in the show. My favorite part personally is where we get to catch up on Tara's most recent adventures and seeing as how this episode is kind of smack in the middle of May. Fox hunting season, bright and proper, not going strong this time of year because fox hunting is a sport that generally happens in the cooler weather. So I'm curious to find out what you have been up to. So what have I been up to? Well, usually, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, this is hound show season. And so usually I've been helping with the Southwest Hound Show here in Texas. But because um, the MFHA has been very conscientious about COVID protocols throughout the country. They've canceled most of the hound shows, but um, with things, the CDC changing their regulations and their, their guidance, they're starting to open up a little bit. So there is some hound showing coming up later this summer, but I have been, I just got back. What day is today? Wednesday. I got back Monday from a road trip with some fox hunting friends. We went riding in Montana. Um, not fox hunting, though. But we were riding our hunt horses, if that counts. That Well, that counts, yeah. Yeah. Sure it does. Well, that's so, a, yeah, a couple of years ago, you may remember um, Big Sky Hounds and Red Rock Hounds hosted a hunt week in Montana. And it's in Mile City, which is my hometown. And so um, a group of us, while not, again, not fox hunting, we opted to go back this year. And hopefully the hunt... It's the week leading up to the Mile City Bucking Horse Sale, which is always the third weekend in May. They, two years ago, hunted the week leading up to it, and then everybody attended the Bucking Horse Sale events, which in 2019 involved a blizzard. In 2021, it was beautiful. So hopefully we'll be back at it next year and have at least as good of weather, if not close to it, without a blizzard. Oh, how fun. It's always nice when Mother Nature cooperates. Yes, because blizzards in May are not... They're not fun in any state. No, no. And driving home in it was terrible. No. But there's there's stuff going on in May that just that it's stuff that shouldn't go on when there's blizzards. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There you go. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that. Yay! Yeah. So in you in your little part of the world in the Midwest, when does activities with hounds and horses at the same time begin again? What time of year? Um, 
really not until late September, early October, kind of depending if the weather cooperates. Um, Some of the hounds will, or hounds, some of the hunts will do some, you know, some walking out Mm -hmm. with the hounds and horses. Um, The hunt that I usually hunt with is they, they do more like, we'll take the the hounds out and like take them out to there's a pond near the kennels and run around a little bit, but not necessarily out on horseback, but they, they will do a lot of horseback activities throughout the summer. So the, the hounds get to go, go play gently during the hot weather. Right. And the horse, horse activities tend to stay separate. Yeah. 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 Well, and that makes perfect sense because hounds, I mean, their legs are 12 inches long, keeping up with horses doing anything, even if it's a nice long walk is pretty stressful if the weather is hot. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Well, and that, that breed, the, the hound breeds just are really not bred for heat. Really? I did not, I would not have thought of that because they're really short haired species, but they don't, they don't do well with heat. Very interesting. It's most, and and I would say this is true of most all of the hunts that I've, you've got to have your hounds in pretty rock and shape to be able to hunt, uh, really warmer than 60 degrees. Really? How? It's it's it can be pretty hard on them. Yeah, they they'll they'll they'll, they'll overdo it. Mm-hmm. Now, and it, that it, it never occurred to me. But now that I think about it logically, the foxhound has been bred for centuries now to do his work in cold weather. So despite right. the fact that he's a short-haired breed, he is his metabolism is designed to work in colder weather. And it kind of goes to, you know, there's, there's so much conversation and I maybe am exceptionally sensitive to it, but there's a lot of conversation about what attire for fox hunting and like what you should and shouldn't wear Mm -hmm. and which will come up in the term of the month actually, but different, you know, different hunts in different climates have had to, you know, you can't wear a Melton coat in Texas until really December. No, you can't wear a Melton coat in Florida ever. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> so, so you've had, you know, you have, and it's kind of the same with the hounds. They've had to, you know, the hunts and climates that are different from England and France and in Ireland have had to breed their hounds differently in order to hunt the territory as well as to have longevity in the climate. That makes perfect sense, which had a moment. I would love to learn about the history of the breed foxhound because most breeds of dogs domestic dogs come from mm-hmm. something else more ancient i would love to learn about what foxhounds evolved from because at some point pre-1500s there weren't foxhounds yet right potential guests i'm gonna put that on my list of things to to do and i i, I have a couple people that come to mind that i bet would be able to speak to that oh goody they probably have cool accents too yes <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. It sounds like something that ought to be on TLC. Um, Sorry. Which brings us to uh, my next favorite part of the show. Actually, every part of the show is my favorite, and we just go down the line. The term of the month, because you not only inform, but you also do a little bit of term busting, and I love it. Yes. And so the the term of the month. So last month, we talked about boot tops. And... In doing research and what I've heard from the different hunts I've been to, it, it, the boot top colors really were um, 
in my education and knowledge were influenced by kind of your role in the hunt. And I got a message from a previous podcast guest who's very, very knowledgeable and multi-generational fox hunter about, it wasn't really a correction. It was just more of a, like more discussion about what boot tops go with, which leads me to this month's term of the month with this frock coat. So do you, do you know what a frock coat is? A frock, a, a frock coat denotes the the styling of the coat, isn't it? It's cut in a certain way. Is that what makes it a frock coat? Yes. And to me, the big, the biggest visual indicator of a frock coat is it has a seam around the waist. So there, it's essentially like the top half of the coat is built and the bottom half of the coat is kind of built and they're attached to one another. So it looks like it has a waistline almost to me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which... You know, when fox hunting began, frock coats were a man's formal coat. That's what a man would wear to a very formal event, white tie per se. Um, and so it was necessitated that uh, a man would wear a frock coat with um, white pants or white breeches for fox hunting. And so as time has gone on, when women originally were fox hunting, they were only riding side saddles. So they wore a very short coat and then obviously a side saddle habit. Well, as women started riding astride, they started taking on more men's attire for riding. So it kind of started with the hunt coat, which the hunt coat is what you see today. And basically the hunter ring is a mod you know, is a modern version of a hunt coat. You really never see a frock coat anywhere except maybe in dressage. Yeah, when you said that, I was going to say, now, wait a minute, in the, in, the, in the show hunter world and in the show jumping world, those are not a frock coat cut anymore because the right. seams are all vertical. There are no horizontal yes. seams visually. You can't right. see any of those. That's interesting. And you're right. Occasionally and more and more rarely do you see a frock in the dressage arena. I had... Right. Growing up, my mom made my hunt coats, and mine were frock coats, because that's the pattern she had. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the pattern I have that I have made, I've made a couple frock coats for myself, is it's a dressage coat pattern. It's a shad belly and a frock coat. Interesting. And, and now that you say that, shad belly and frock coat, if you were to take a shad belly and whack the tails off the back so that they were just down to the edge of your bum and right. then take that same horizontal seam where it's cut off and put the Skirt bottom half the of the coat. jacket back yeah. on you'd have a frock yep i wonder if that's how the shad belly got invented i don't know <gasps> and i haven't researched the shad belly yet but it was interesting because i know a few people who are very much consider themselves sticklers of fox hunting attire and they wear shad bellies for high hunting days but when I was reading Fox Hunting Life, which is the website, and I'll put, I've got links to put in the show notes to a couple of these articles from Norm Fine, who's a very knowledgeable hunt person. Um, an article from like 20, it was like 2012 ish, maybe 2009. You know, it kind of goes down the list of what, what to wear for autumn hunting for, you know, colors, no colors, all that stuff. And it said in there, you know, you could wear a shad belly, but it's discouraged, which I thought was kind of interesting because. Um, most of, a lot of our listeners are maybe familiar with like the hunter derbies where you wear like many of the ladies wear a shad belly. So 
I will be doing some research on shad bellies to try to learn more about that. But a shad belly, you know, it has to be a derivative of some form or fashion of the frock coat. But the frock coat, so as a man, you would only wear brown top boots with a frock coat. And you would never wear brown boots with a frock coat. No, that would make sense. Now, a frock coat, is a frock coat always black? Or do fro- is that, can that frock pattern be used on casual colors like tweeds and stuff? No, you wouldn't see it as a tweed because it's okay. considered a formal coat. Um, Isn't that interesting? So not only is it the color, it is also the yes. styling that and, is formal. And it, and again, one of the best um, things I read uh, when, when looking and researching the frock coat is there is no black and white. This is what you should wear or don't wear for hunting. The be all end all of every hunt is the master's. So they they make the call, but usually scarlet coats or frock coats, the red ones. Good point. And unless you're a show jumper wearing a scarlet coat, then they're right. not. <laughs> but but it, it it means something different to the show jumpers than it does to That's the fox hunters. That's true. And I'm curious how those two happened because, right? Yeah, it's, all these questions you're creating today. Oh my gosh, my head's going to explode. I think horseback riding attire and tack and stuff like I love the functionality of it, but I love the tradition of it. And I would never be somebody who would ever, you know, be rude to somebody because they weren't wearing the right thing in the hunt, in the hunt field. I think it's a a malleable thing. And I would always be respectful of somebody who tries. Yeah. Um, I just find it fascinating to learn the origins of this stuff. It's like when you, when you take a, a word that you're curious about and you go look up where the word came from. You know, I, I enjoy totally. learning about where this stuff comes from because frequently it's much more complicated than just fox hunting. There's so much more yes. to it. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a couple of notes to put in there about um, attire and kind of where stuff comes from. And, you know, the every, you know, there's rules, but there's kind of not rules. <laughs> Always. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Well, speaking of rules and not rules... There are some rules when it comes to caring for your horse before and after he works hard, whether it's fox hunting or show jumping or something else. And ice vibe is something that you really need to check into. So we're going to hear from the fine folks at Horseware, who are the fine folks who provide you with vice vibe. And when we get back, we're going to speak with our very first guest. In the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. IceVibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the IceVibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimize swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, IceVibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. IceVibe. You can find out more details about Ice Vibe at horseware.com or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe Circulation Therapy from Horseware. So I am delighted today to be chatting with Sarah Maslinier, the author of the book Horse Crazy, which hopefully I'm sure most of our listeners have heard of it. And um, 
I know there is a chapter, and I apologize, I haven't read the book in full yet, but I know there's a chapter on fox hunting, and so we wanted to have you to come on our fox hunting episode and just tell us how the fox hunting chapter came about. Because if I understand, each chapter is about more or less a horse. Is that true? So the way I structured Horse Crazy is that each chapter features a horse that I like to say either told me its story or helped me write my own. But it's not just stories about my own ponies, right? That would be deadly boring. Each right. one launches me in a, a different direction. So I have an imported Dutch warm blood named Trendsetter. And one day I was like, how do I have a Dutch horse in New York City? Like, how is how do you import horses? So I ended up flying in the belly of a 747 with nine Dutch warm bloods in this big commerce between the two countries uh, in the big business of horses crossing the Atlantic. So that's kind of the journeys each chapter and each horse takes me on is into their logical extreme. So did you, did you, had you fox hunted? I guess going back, when did you first fox hunt? So the journey to finding fox hunting is really circuitous. I have been gifted a number of free horses in my life. And we all know when you get a free horse, you know, look under the hood. (laughs) It's never a free horse. Right. Yeah. No such thing. Um, And, uh, you know, I didn't have money to purchase a horse, but I could support one. And uh, some people knew that and I ride. Okay. So they threw me these horses. And I often say that horses slip through the cracks of a life and either you're getting a free horse because there's something wrong with it, or there's something going wrong with the life of the humans who are supposed to steward that horse. And lo and behold, I saw a horse trotting around a ring in East Hampton. It was actually an Arabian, which you never see in the posh Hamptons towns. And I said, what, what's that? And the girl looked at me and it was a real janky Arabian. You know, some Arabians are beautiful, but this one was not. And the girl who was riding it said to me, oh yeah, she's an Arab cross. And well, she was free. I said, oh, now I'm interested in whatever she is. It could be a Shetland if it was free and you're horseless, right? Yeah. <laughs> and she said, the lady who had her has heartbreak and she's got seven more horses. And I was immediately intrigued. And by the end of the conversation, the little girl had given me the woman's number and I called the woman's number. She's uh, from Tennessee and I rang her up and turns out she had had many horses together with her husband and he'd gotten into a motorcycle crash, excuse me, a car crash coming back from kenneling the hounds. He was a big drinker and turns out he loved fox hunting, not for the sport, but for the stirrup cup. For the imbibement. Exactly. Cocktail party on horseback is what they called it. And they had set up a hunt in Tennessee. So he had gotten in this terrible crash and had been almost incapacitated. And she cared for him while he was recovering. And when he woke up from this nightmare recovery, he said, I want a divorce. And very swiftly, she was ridding herself of all of their shared horses before he got his act together uh, as retribution. And so by the end of the phone call, after hearing this astounding story, you know, I was 21. I had never heard such grown-up tales of horror before. And she said, so when do you want your horse? So that horse arrived from Tennessee the next week. And I thought I was getting a kind of funny-looking Arabian and off strode the most extraordinarily beautiful six-year-old warm blood fox hunter. And I immediately exclaimed, you're an Adonis. And that was his name forever after. 
Adonis introduced me to the world of fox hunting, but it took 10 years. Should I go on? Well, yeah. (laughs) So when I was researching the book Horse Crazy, which uh, comes out in paperback in August, I said to myself, I have to find the stories behind these horses. And that tantalizing story of this woman from Tennessee who sent me a free fox hunter, never having met her, really, really hung around in my head. So I called her up 10 years later, and she actually sent me another horse after she took Adonis back, his brother, equally beautiful. And I had him for many years and ended up selling him for her. And I had still never met her. And I called her up and I wanted to hear the story again of her heartbreak and the horses. And she just wanted to ride. And she said, well, I'll see you this week. We'll go fox hunting. And that was my introduction to fox hunting. I didn't have a single piece of kit. I had never been on these wild rides you love so much, Tara. And I suited up to meet the woman who'd given me all these horses oh so long ago. So you had Adonis for years, but you, and he had hunted, but you never hunted him. Never. He actually only knew stop and go like a good fox hunter. So I put all the show jumping bells and whistles on him, tidied up his lead changes, got him to canter in a teacup, as they say. Um, and then uh, she took him back to become her riding horse and swapped me another raw, beautiful fox hunter. Interesting. Yeah, it's I, I've known over the years, I've known people who bought horses that failed as fox hunters and turned out to be delightful show horses. And I've known probably equally as many folks who took show horses who hated their job in the ring and were thoroughly happy in the hunting field. And I, it's really one of my favorite things about fox hunting is there's no one type that fox hunts. Mm-hmm. Well, so, how many do you know that uh, are horses that are good at both, but mostly are victims of heartbreak. <laughs> That's what I ended up with. I think these horses could have gone any direction, but just their owner's life spiraled right. away. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that kind of happens a little bit in every genre of horsing. Oh, for sure. I've had seven free horses, some from even worse a journey. Oh, so mm-hmm. that took, so you hunted in Tennessee for the first time, as opposed to New York. No, no, I should correct. She had ended up in North Salem. She had forged this new, beautiful life as an independent, single, fearsome fox hunter up in North Salem in New York. So she was actually a hop, skip, skip and a jump from me. Um, So our meeting happened uh, in the woods of Westchester. Well, then take us on that journey. (laughs) So I meet Juliet and as a fox hunting newbie, So I headed to Manhattan Saddlery, which is the last remaining saddlery and tack shop in New York City. It's actually been around since the early 1900s. And they outfitted me with a beautiful wool Melton. And I showed up looking the part, so I thought. But I had put on a beautiful antique golden uh, fox hunting brooch, essentially, as uh, to, to pin my stock with. And she immediately gasped that it was far too gaudy. It was a, at least a half an inch big and I needed something that was a quarter of an inch big. And immediately I was like, Oh, you're not in Kansas anymore, Mir. <laughs> and uh, she swapped me with a far more appropriate pin, uh, more subtle. I ended up riding an extraordinary uh, 
black and white horse called Tango. And Tango was super bold and super brave. And first of all, they're doing a ceremony conferring colors on a new member. And I have no idea what this means. Basically, it feels like he's being knighted for running around after foxes. That's a high hunting day. So you're like at opening or closing. And you probably yeah, don't know it, this. It, I have no idea. It's a very fancy special day. My pin was too large. That's all I know. I'm already ashamed arriving with a one inch pin instead of a quarter inch pin or whatever it was. But they have this special ceremony. I'm totally baffled. And moreover, I am absolutely cringing with the idea that I'm going to break rules I don't know, right? Like it's already frightening to break rules you do know, but to know that there are all these rules braided invisibly in this world. And a large part of my book, Horse Crazy, is about unpacking identity and about why I felt so compelled as a Jew from New York City, the daughter of a Holocaust survivor, the daughter of an immigrant, to insert myself in this elite world of Americana of equestrianism. And I realized a tremendous part was about passing about passing as a authentic American, whatever that means, who doesn't have a father with a funny accent and with a weird history. And uh, that's really the psychology that I dig into the book. So here I am in a world that's ultra elite, feels ultra elite, and I don't know the rules. And I'm so concerned, really uh, almost physically sick over the idea that I won't pass and I won't, I'll be found out that I don't belong there. So that's pervading my sense of learning all these rules. As we start to go out on the ride, I become much more aware of what horses do everywhere, which is take all that bullshit away. (laughs) They just live for the moment and you get the privilege of living for it with them. So we're off on the hunt. We're galloping around. We pass llamas. And let me tell you, these horses are so brave. As you know, fox hunters, they don't care about the hounds. I know now not to call them dogs, uh, singing all around them. Uh, one gallops, you know, between my horse's legs. He doesn't flinch. But man, Tango did not like llamas. Yeah, I was going (laughs) to say, the llamas are probably going to be a little bit of a different experience. Oh, yeah. So as soon as we pass the llamas, Tango becomes a freight train trying to get to the front of the hunt. And the one thing I know is that you don't pass the masters. And I am tearing out my biceps, basically, trying to convince Tango that you don't past the masters. And that's why I examine in the book, you know, fox hunting and all equestrian sports so interesting is that we place these rules, arbitrary rules on these animals that really only have one rule, which is find a safe place to be, as the great horse whisperer Monty Roberts says. And I found it so fascinating that the idea of holding a galloping horse back when all it wants to do is catch up with its brothers and pass them all and flee whatever's making them gallop. uh, It was so interesting to be in that dynamic opposing the horse's natural impulse uh, because us humans decided that there's a pageant unfolding in colors on their backs. So I'm galloping along and we stop for the first amazing part, which is somebody pours me a glass of brandy as we're (laughs) going around, which does not happen in the hunter jumper world, I will say. Nobody stops you, taps you on the shoulder and offers you from a silver horn (laughs) <laughs> a beautiful dram. Um, and then it happened again. And then it happened again. And then I don't remember how many other times I had a nice shot of something warming out in the cold. Um, but it was really jovial and lovely. 
And then I think the most interesting thing happened, and especially what I discuss in my book, as I just mentioned, about this sense of belonging and not belonging. Here I am, an accomplished writer, and filled with the feeling that I'll be found out for the imposter, for the Jew, for the immigrant interloper that I am uh, in some dark corner of my soul. I, I feel I don't belong. And we all know horses don't give a crap about any of that, right? Horses are deeply democratic. They just demand that you're kind to them. Um, and yet we've really festooned their world with uh, us and them and, and a, a sense of elite that comes with it. And, and these are the things that I examine in the book about myself, um, about coming to terms with all that. So here I am galloping with all these misgivings and um, anxieties following me, really fanning out behind me like my horse's tail. And we come to a stone wall. And I'm in first flight, and everybody gallops over it. And then just as it's to be my turn, they're all waiting on a hill for me to get over the stone wall. The man who had been conferred colors that day, who was a big patron of the hunt but really couldn't ride, uh, zipped in front of me. And he doesn't jump stone walls, but he passed in front of me and then right around the wall. And I followed, and my horse Tango got very confused. He said, wait, that guy went around the wall. I got to go over the wall. Everybody's at a standstill. And so what happened? He did nothing. Yeah. Tango crashed to a halt in front of that wall, utterly confused. And that was my worst nightmare, right? Here are the masters in first flight waiting, looking down at me. And I felt not only did I fail to jump that wall, I failed to prove I was part of this equestrian world that I'm so desperate to belong to. And I wanted to just slink off into the trees. And I did. I started to turn back. I thought, let me go with my hostess. She's in her 60s. I'll go to second, third flight. I'll walk the rest of the way. And then I got the most intoxicating drink of all. I got a tap on my shoulder. The master saw what happened. And he would like to invite you to ride with him at the front of the hunt. Oh, wow. And this was such a powerful moment to me because the master had seen in a way that I was incapable of seeing because of all of the internal uh, you know, self-regard that I told you about, that it wasn't my fault. He had seen that I could ride in a way that I hadn't seen. And so I stepped past the whole herd of horses, 20, 30 of them, side by side with him, and we were off on one of the most extraordinary gallops of my life, both because it was blazingly fast we jumped four foot stone walls, you know, with no one in front of him. Tango was like, I got this. There are no llamas here. We're on it. <laughs> and he went nuts. And we jumped, you know, stone walls that when you land on the other side, they're six, they're six feet, right? They have a ditch yeah. behind them and up shale hills and after the hounds singing for the foxes and through the snow and, and uh, nothing stopped us. But the most glorious part of it is I felt like trailing behind me instead of these anxieties was this ribbon, you know, sash across my chest. At last, you belong. And it was really one of the most powerful equestrian experiences of my entire life. Well, I know in my experience with fox hunting, um, and I've hunted with, I don't know, seven, eight, nine hunts. It's kind of one of those, and not every single hunt is this way, but I would like to think the majority of them are that way that, they recognize an individual's passion for the sport 
whether they're new or, you know, they've done it for years and the ability to ride and honor that. And it, it sounds like you, that's a wonderful experience, really. It's a, it's well, a beautiful what was so story. About that. Yeah. What was so powerful about that is that I didn't honor that. Right. And that's been sort of the tension of my engagement with the riding world in horse crazy. I go ride with black cowboys who've been erased from the equestrian story, despite the fact that one in four cowboys in the pioneer era were in fact black. And they've been totally removed from the narrative of what made this country. Um, because I, I see that parallel in myself, in my own people, the Jews, almost near erasure from this world. And so when you bring so much burden to what you're doing, right? When you approach something as an outsider who doesn't belong there, sometimes it takes an insider saying, I see you, uh, to divest yourself of that. And my journey is very particular, right? There are not a lot of people who are Holocaust survivors, daughters who live in New York City who are passionate about horses. But I think everybody has journeys that make them feel like an imposter. Um, And horses have been a saving grace in that they've never seen me as that. Well, and I think that the, I having come to Fox hunting as an outsider in a different way from you, but still very much, I grew up riding Western horses in Eastern Montana. I think there's a lot of different kinds of riding that when you go into them, you very much feel like an outsider and you need to have what I call, I blog about this a little bit and talk about it on social media, but like the costume and the, the horse and the whatever and coming into fox hunting, I very, I very much put that on myself that I needed to have the costume and the this and the that. And at the end of the day, when you're when you're riding with the right people, finger quotes, right people, the right group that you know the inclusivity. As long as you you know you're passionate, you're safe, and you love what you're doing, and you're willing to learn, everyone is welcoming. I think that's a great way to put it. And I would push back on one thing. I think you have to be the right people yourself, right? Yes, you have to yes, welcome absolutely. yourself. But that was the, the real lesson is that I couldn't see that I could really ride in that moment, yeah. but they could, and they allowed me to see it myself, um, which was powerful. I'll tell you one other thing that happened in this fox hunt after that, which becomes the closing uh, portion of horse crazy. So we're walking around, um, the, the hounds have lost the scent, kind of going a little AWOL, and it starts to snow. And that hedge fund guy in the colors who couldn't ride, who had cut me off, <laughs> comes up to me and he says, uh, why does your saddle say near on the back? That's my last name. I said, well, because right. that's my, my name. You know, that my, my, I brought my saddle, had my saddle plate on it. I said, well, that's because that's my last name. He said, are you related to Yehuda Nir? And I said, why, yes, that's my father. And my father's passed away. But as I've mentioned, he was a survivor. And he wrote a memoir called The Lost Childhood about how he hid in plain sight with a false baptismal certificate from the Nazis during the Holocaust. I don't and think I knew he was a writer. Said, yeah, yeah. He was a, a psychiatrist. And, and, and he wrote that uh, one book. And um, the gentleman said, uh, I read your father's book in the nineties and I said, wow, you know, and he said, at least once a month, I think of this scene from the book and mind you, we're standing in the snow on horses in these quiet woods. And he says, the scene where your father um, was interred in a Polish labor camp and they were sent to showers and he was worried 
that he had a false identity as a Polish person, a Polish Catholic. He was worried they would find out in the showers because he circumcised that he was a Jew. And the guards had made a mistake and they had put female soldiers at the, uh, in the showers to uh, maintain order. And of course, that did nothing to maintain order. It made everyone crazy and they were hooting and hollering and you know, whipping towels and whatever. And in the distraction, my dad zipped into the shower as a 14-year-old boy and ran out and his identity was saved and so was his life. Um, and this man on this horse recounted that story about my father there in the woods. And it was the second most powerful experience I've ever had on horseback because here, again, I have felt an outsider and yet my father's stories and those stories of survival were riding right alongside me, right on the back of my saddle, uh, on that horse with me and in the minds of these people who I thought were so different and other, and they weren't at all. And he said, at least once a month, I think of your father, the survivor. That's so cool. Goosebumps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Goosebumps. I mean, I almost fell off the horse. <laughs> So have you, have you hunted again after, I mean, after that experience, I would love to think it was intoxicating and you went back. Yes. Um, I, that was with the Golden's Bridge Foxhounds and I've gone out with, uh, quite a few times with, um, Windy Hollow and the Radnor Hunt. I have gone to their gala, which is really fun. Um, I was supposed to go, uh, down with, uh, to Middleburg and hunt with a couple of different hunts, but COVID dashed my plan. Corona. Um, yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Um, I have complicated feelings about uh, catching the fox because I'm a lifelong 21 year vegetarian. I don't eat animals. I'm a moral vegetarian, um, but I feel comforted in that they rarely do. And if they caught them all the time, they wouldn't have anything fun to chase. So um, I have complex, feelings about horse riding in general understandable um, but yeah uh but it's a, a fascinating pursuit and man i love the outfits now i have every piece of the gear <laughs> just gorgeous <laughs> i had this boyfriend i was convincing to ride and the way i convinced him to ride was to buy him a piece of fox hunting gear for every holiday and birthday till he was finally uh suited up because he just loved the fashion <laughs> oh that's awesome that, that's yeah that's definitely well, some folks love it and some folks do not love it, but I definitely oh. am and team well, love it. That's the joy of the of equestrianism. There really is something for everyone, even if you don't even want to sit on a horse. And it's kind of cool, Sarah, that you have found so many different ways to take your passion and compassion for horses and and have it benefit you personally in lots of different ways, but you also find and discover different ways that it benefits other people. And, you know, if you had not gone out that day and gone fox hunting, despite the fact that you felt like you didn't quite belong, you would not have heard that gentleman's story. And I suspect that that gentleman got as much out of that conversation as you did. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, it, uh, it, it really was a, a life lesson. You know, fox hunting began in, 1534, right? Like think about how many journeys there have been with horses through the woods, these collectives of people and animals coming together and how many stories like mine there might be of eye-opening moments on horseback. I think it's a 
fascinating sport. And what makes it so interesting is that you do it as a herd, like horses are supposed are to be. meant to be. That's right. Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. the, that's the title yeah. of your next book, Sarah. Life, uh, I <laughs> moments on horseback. There you go. Life in the herd. There you go. <laughs> well, where can, where can people Seen find your amazing book, Horse Crazy? Where, where are we going to find it? Well, thank you for asking. Um, it is available anywhere books are sold. It's in the hardback now, um, and it'll be out in paperback in August. I highly recommend buying it at a local bookseller because you know this has been hard times, and Jeff Bezos doesn't need any more of our money, even if he's going through a divorce with Amazon. <laughs> so I highly recommend uh, purchasing it there. If anybody wants to Google Bravo's Book Nook in New York City. It is a local bookshop near my house, and every book purchased there is autographed. And if you shoot oh, them an email, I'll I'll even personalize it for oh, you. Fun! So, I love yeah, that. Bravo's Book Nook. Thanks so much for having me on. I love this program, and I'm going to become an addict. <laughs> yes, thank you. Have a wonderful evening. Right. Such a fascinating conversation. I love hearing about different horse activities from people who have never done it before the eyes of someone new so it's kind of invigorating so after all that invigorating chat i think we need to take a quick break here we're gonna have a little song today we don't get to do that very often anymore we're gonna hear from mary ann kennedy and when we come back we are going to be chatting with stephen thomas guest number two And so alone Looking for someone To call your own Then right before your eyes An open heart wants To be your home Unwanted Unneeded Now there is love Who 
About the total saddle fit stability <laughs> stirrup leathers. Did you get yourself a pair of these yet? I haven't, but I've been reading a lot on um, a couple of the groups, like the Plaidcast Amateur Lounge that I'm in. A couple of people. I, I really, I think I need to get them, get them for my hunt saddle. I think all fox hunters need to know about the total saddle fit stability stirrup leathers. They have a wide body design, which means the part of the leather that is closest to your leg is wider than the part of the leather closest to the saddle, which means it's more stable. But it is also smoother. So if you're one of those riders like me who does a little extra squeezing with the knees and you get knee rubs all the time, you get blisters on your knees, Um, yeah, these make a big difference. I did not expect that. I did not anticipate that. But it does make a big difference. So it gives you more stability in your legs, fewer leg rubs, and they're attractive. And they are made of good quality leather. They come in dark brown or black, so they will match your saddle perfectly. They also come in what they call the slim design, so that the buckle is at the bottom, just above the stirrup iron. For folks who like to have the stirrup strap, that odd style that's very trendy right now, I like that kind too. And they also have them so that the slim style can be twisted in such a way so that your stirrup iron is facing the correct direction. You know how you have to tap yes. the inside edge of your stirrup iron to get a hold of it? Yep. You can they have instructions on how to twist it in certain ways so that your stirrup iron doesn't have to do that. So if you have trouble getting your stirrup back or if you have trouble with torque on your knee, these will also suit you. And they come in 48, 48, 54, 58, 60, and 64-inch lengths. So there's something for everyone. And when you get them from TotalSaddleFit.com, they're, you're guaranteed to love them. He will pay shipping both directions if you don't love them. And you can use them and abuse them. You don't have to ride in them once and cover them with a sock. Ride in them, really decide whether or not you love them. And if you don't, you can send them back. So go to TotalSaddleFit.com. And get your stability stirrup leathers today. So, as I like to refer to it, Corona Apocalypse has kind of upended everything. And in the fox hunting world, a big thing that it has upended is pretty much every hound show for the last two years has been canceled. But as things are, um, I, I guess you could say, kind of opening back up again. Uh, the Central States Hound Club is going to be hosting a puppy show. So Steve Thomas, um, 
Master and Huntsman from Fort Leavenworth is joining us to t tell us a little bit about it. Thanks for having me on. Um, as you said, the Masters of Foxhounds Association recommended and, and all of the clubs agreed not to have shows last year or this year. Um, puppy shows are typically uh, just a single hunt or, or a couple of hunts together uh, showing their puppies, their unentered hounds. Um, because we're smaller hunts here in the Midwest, um, we've decided to combine those, um, some hunts so that we have enough puppies to be able to have a, a good sized puppy show. So we're going to put that on, on Saturday, the 26th of June. And tell us what is an unentered hound? Uh, hounds that haven't yet hunted. So, um, they could be, they could be puppies, which is a, a little bit of a misnomer in terms of the, the um, the show itself, but it's limited to hounds that have not yet hunted. So they're unentered hounds uh, and hounds that are expected to start hunting this upcoming season. Lovely. Well, and who doesn't love puppies? So is it what, where, where is the hound show planned to be hosted? Uh, it's in Stillwell, Kansas, where we typically have the, um, uh, the, the central States hound show. on Okay. The farm. Lovely. And I personally have, I've attended a number of hound shows before, but I've never attended a puppy show. Is it kind of, you know, give us a quick overview of what, what, in, and I'm sure most of our listeners are thinking of, you know, like the AKC hound shows or dog shows, which are very different from a hound show. Yeah, absolutely. These are more along the lines of a regular um, foxhound show, uh, except that the puppy shows are, are more low key. They're a little more informal. Um, the classes are, are limited because they're just unentered hounds. So we don't have, uh, things like stallion hounds and their get or a brood bitch and their get, and we don't have pack classes and, and things like that. So, uh, it's shorter. That's why we're able to have it a little bit later in the year because we should be able to be finished before the heat of the day starts. Uh, but it's conducted in the same way that a, a normal foxhound show would be. Where the the judge is looking at the the hound's confirmation or how it's built, and then they do where they kind of run they call it run across the boards where they look at how they move. Is that right? Absolutely, it's the same same criteria for judging that you would have with a with a regular hound show, uh, and of course there are unentered classes in a regular hound show. There just aren't any entered hounds here, so there aren't any of the extra classes. But the criteria for judging are exactly the same as they would be in any other hound show. Lovely. So if people in that area in the, in the Midwestern of the United States, is it open for spectators to come see it? It is. Uh, we typically don't get a whole lot of spectators that aren't associated with some of the, the um, organizations that are, that are showing, but um, it's, Right now, our COVID restrictions are pretty much off in the area where we are. Uh, we don't expect to have, you know, a huge group, and it'll be an outside gathering, and we're not having the inside social functions this time. Right. Uh, so, yeah, if someone was interested, uh, certainly contact me, and I'll help them with arrangements. And we'll we'll put contact information in the show notes, and I'll put um, an unsolicited plug and say that. Hound shows are a phenomenal way to go to an event and meet people at a hunt 
kind of get to know folks, get to know how, you know, the social side of it a little bit, learn a little bit about hounds. I think the judging is always interesting. Every hound show I've been to, the judge always will take an opportunity to speak a little bit to what they're looking at in the hounds, which is educational. But I think it's a great way to get introduced to fox hunting and kind of get to know some folks before you take your horse out. Yeah, absolutely. I could, couldn't agree more. And, and one of the other things with puppy shows, uh, our huntsman or our judge this year is uh, Ken George, who's a professional huntsman at the Midland Foxhounds. Um, and we ask even more so than in a regular show for the puppy show judges to um, do some education as they go, let the spectators know what they're looking for, why they like certain features of this hound or what concerns they might have about another hound. Uh, in terms of confirmation, and as you said earlier, movement's particularly important to be able to see them move and see um, how they'll be able to travel across distances once they start hunting. Yep. Yeah, and it's you know, it's definitely something I think you learn to appreciate more. You know, the more you hunt, and for me, obviously, the longer I've hunted, the more and shows I've gone to, the more I've learned. But I just the the social aspect of the hound shows is such a wonderful opportunity to get to know people. And then I know for myself, after I went to a hound show. It, you know, I already kind of knew people and it was just more comfortable and easier to go to a fox hunt. So where can people find more information about the puppy show? Um, if you tell us about it and then we'll also put a link in our show notes. Uh, sure. The simplest thing to do if they're interested is to email me at uh, flhdoc at gmail.com. And Perfect. I can be able to share that with them. The hunts that are Confirmed to be coming are Fort Leavenworth, uh, Mission Valley Hunt, Bridalsburg, and Brazos Valley, and then some of the other hunts that typically participate in uh, the Central States show, uh, North Hills, Bijou Springs, Harvard Foxhounds, Mill Creek, uh, have all been invited. It's going to depend a lot on what their schedules are because this time of year things start to get busy, and this is kind of a short notice show, so um, we weren't sure what was going to happen with COVID, and once it opened up, um, we got it on the calendar as quick as we could. Oh, I, that's delightful. And I think that's a good, um, good geographical mix of, you know, places. So Brass Valley is, is, is in my home territory. So in Texas, Absolutely. So. we're looking forward to having their hounds here. So yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Steve. We appreciate it. You're absolutely welcome. Thanks for having me. I find Fox, Fox, hound shows, Fox hound show doesn't sound right. Hound shows. Fascinating. I do too. Because to me, at least, they feel so very different than an AKC kind of a show. Because if, I'm, if I've got this right, when they show the hounds, I'm going to use my air quotes, they don't have them on leashes when they're in the arena actually being judged. Well, right? they'll bring them in the ring on leashes and then they take them off the leash when they have them going across the boards. And so there is an element of free movement and they're, they're looking, you know, I've helped with the Southwest Hound show here in Fort Worth. Well, it's usually in Weatherford, Texas quite a few times. And Sandy Dixon, the master and huntsman for Brazos Valley kind of heads that show up and she always gets fantastic judges from all over the country and they've all been wonderful about explaining what they're looking for and why different things and characteristics of different hounds are better. But it's been interesting because, you know, I have Red Rock Linda and Linda I think is 
12 years old. Wow, she's an and old hound. Can, <laughs> she is. And she hunted until she was 11. Because I've had her for two. Yeah, I've had her for two years this week. And you you can see from her confirmation, she held up. Like her, like her feet look great. Her body looks great. Like they're looking for longevity in a hound that can go. Because, you know, oftentimes some hunts will go out for four hours. That's a lot. That's a long That's day. That's a lot of miles. And it's through. Very, yes. It can be through some very, very challenging terrain. So, you know. Right. And so then you'll have judges who have different preferences based on the territory that they're most familiar with hunting. So much like with horse confirmation judging. Mm-hmm. How interesting is that? Cool. Yeah. There you go. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today and learning about a, you know, a first time fox hunting experience. And hopefully that some of y'all will be able to head out to a puppy show because who doesn't love puppies? Puppies. All right. So you can, if you want to learn more about my shenanigans, fox hunting and horsing, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at TN Tibbets. I've got two B's and two T's in my last name. So T-N-T-I-B-B-E-T-T-S. You can find links to today's guests and the show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. And you can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook or other versions of social media. Just search for Horses in the Morning. And you can have all the shows with you wherever you go by downloading the free Horse Radio Network app. It works for iPhone and Android. You just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network and download it today. You can choose to receive all the shows with one button, and there's a lot of them. Or you can pick and choose which shows get downloaded automatically to your, te- automatically to your telephone. And thank you very much to our sponsors, because without them, they wouldn't. this wouldn't happen. And they are Horseware. You can find out more about horseware at horseware.com and total saddle fit check out their shoulder relief girths and cinches for western and english saddles and i think it's about time we say uh good night good night <laughs> <laughs>